Welcome, new listeners, or welcome back, regular fans, to Work at Life. Whether you're an employee or an employer, or you just care about the topic, this is a show for everyone who believes that work should be just as fulfilling as life outside of work, and that the way to get there is through building more human workplaces. What's different about our show is that we look at burning issues through the lens of both the individual and the organization. So the show is co-hosted by me, Maddie Grant, as a culture designer and co-founder of a culture consultancy called Propel, and Sonia Lucina, an organizational psychologist heading up the workforce division at Question Pro. So welcome, everybody. I am super excited for today's guest because uh, we're going to talk about culture, <laughs> which is, of course, one of my favorite topics, um, but culture and many other things, too. So I'm going to let Sonia... Um, give a little bit of context to who our special guest is today, and then we'll, as always, kick us off with a data point. Yay! Thank you, Maddie, and welcome, Anna, to the show. It's so wonderful to have you. Um, I, I've loved every conversation that you and I have had so far, and I'm so glad that now we actually get to have a chance to chat with Maddie and share all of your awesome wisdom um, with the world. So what can our listeners expect today? Just a, a small quick intro of who you are. Um, so Anna Bruns is the head of talent for Pop Menu and challenger of the status quo for people ops. Like absolutely. Um, with a proven track record of energizing engagement, mending silos and improving talent frameworks at large tech companies, she came to Pop Menu two years ago on a mission to build an outstanding work culture from scratch and succeeded. And so Anna is here to tell us all about how she has been doing that and what she plans to do. And I love um, that I came across paths with Anna because I know Brendan and Tony really well. And they're the two co-founders of Pop Venue and just two of the best guys I know. And so every time I talked with Brendan, he was like, you have to meet Anna. You have to meet Anna. Like literally you came up in every one of our conversations. And then finally, I think we met just a little bit under a year ago. And I was like, well, the wait was worth it. <laughs> it took a while for him to connect us. But I just really loved um, all, all the conversations. So welcome to the show. I don't know if you want to just at a high level, add anything about yourself, your role, and then we'll jump into the data point. And we have a bunch of questions for you. <laughs> so I can't wait to kick those off. Well, thankfully, this is a podcast because I'm blushing after all the <laughs> kind introduction. Thank you so much for having me. I'm always excited to talk about people and culture. Oh, I love it. Well, and, and again, thank you. Thank you for this time. And I'm I'm super excited for, for us to dig in. So first, um, we'll go over the data points that we have for today. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk a lot about, you know, culture, as Maddie was saying, we'll talk a lot about, you know, the CEO's role in it, all of the, all of the different components that really make a difference and drive it. And so what we wanted to do as we got started is we went out and we asked 300 workers in the U.S. how they felt like about their CEO. And we asked about personally and we asked professionally. And a big part of that is, you know, why would you ask personally is because there's so much talk now about this connection 
humanizing the leaders and the organizations that it's no longer this big separation of who you are at home and who you are in the workplace. And so when we asked the U.S. workers, how do you feel about your CEO personally? Um, about half, 53% said that they like what they know about him and her, him or her as a person. And then about a quarter said, I don't have much exposure to this person personally. And I was like, wow, interesting. In this big shift, there's still a lot of people that don't don't even really feel like they have a preview of who's leading their organization. And then 10% of people said that I don't really like what they know about their CEO personally. And 11% said, you know, I'm not really sure how I feel. And what was really interesting is that actually the exact same trend followed when we asked about professionally. So we thought, well, maybe, you know, again, personally, there's still the shift happening. Maybe some individuals don't feel as, as open about sharing who they are with their workforce. But literally, the data was almost exactly the same. When we asked, how do you feel about your CEO professionally, about half the people, just a little bit more, you know, 54% said that they like how their CEO leads the company. And about a quarter said that they don't have much exposure to the strategy or, or how they lead it professionally. And then again, 10 and 11% said, I don't like it, or I don't really know. So I know um, to, to kick us off with the questions, with that context of, you know, this is the, the lay of the land, at least in the US. I know that Pop Menu launched about five years ago, which I still can't believe how quickly time has go, gone by. And now is actually ranked as one of Glassdoor's best places to work. Um, but not only that, um, while the company rated 4.8 out of 5 stars by, was by the employees, so that was the company, the CEO approval rating is at 100%. So I want to say knowing it's Brendan, crazy. like forever, it's crazy with this guy, like he's just such a good guy. So I'm like, part of me is like, it's Brendan, I believe it. But another part of me is like, I'm also a data person and 100% is a really, really, really hard number to get. Anna, what is the secret? How, I mean, between the company and the CEO, like, how do you do it? <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> you know what? That's such an interesting question. And I am partially still disappointed that Glassdoor decided to get rid of the best CEO awards this year. Yes. Oh. <laughs> Genuinely, I think there is nobody more deserving than Brandon yeah. to get this award because he is both extremely good at what he's doing, but he's also such a kind human being going back to the data points you just shared. So it's mm -hmm. rare to see both in CEOs at the same time. It just like this magic combination. So I believe that's, that's certainly one ingredient of the secret yeah. sauce. And I don't even know, most of the time, we're always chasing this recipe for success. Yeah. I don't know that it really exists per se, but a pop menu, what you can say is a few of the magic ingredients came together beautifully. Yeah. And that's certainly one of them is we have this unbelievably brilliant founders team all four of them are incredibly good at what they're doing, but they are very decent and kind human beings. And you see this just throughout the organization, throughout the story of Pop Menu. You can feel it in every interaction with all four of them. And yeah. 
you know, invited a culture of leaders that really wanted to work at a place like this. And so it just propelled itself forward in such a beautiful way. The other aspect is, you know, when we had the chance to start from scratch, and that's a luxury that is not to be just swept off the table. It is so, I come from organizations where you didn't have this opportunity. You just walk in and you're like, okay, how are we going to solve for this now? We're aware of what the challenges are. We're aware of what our people want. But it is so much harder to turn certain things around versus to walk in eyes wide open and to be like, okay, this is this is what we don't want. And this yeah. is what we're trying to prevent. And that is probably the main aspect of alignment between all the leaders at POP, but also especially our four co-founders is yeah. we have a very strong no list. So mm-hmm. <laughs> because the I love thing this. you don't want it sharpens your yes, if that makes yeah. sense. No, uh, I love all of it. And I think I, I know three of the four founders pretty well. And I think like what you're saying is so important because for so long, I think that we carry this impression that to be a successful founder, or successful CEO, you have to be a really tough person. And that maybe you really oftentimes use the trade-off likability because it's really hard to make the right decisions if you care so much about people. Um, I think it maybe not like not in the fat last five years, but I think historically that was more of that notion that like those leaders were more cold, more detached. And I think from what you're saying is you have a group of people that is completely challenging that norm and showing both in the growth of your organization from employees, the number of clients, but then also this balance with these ratings of both your organization and culture and your CEO, they're like, look, it is possible. Like it's very much possible. And to give people like that, um, you know, I, the idea and the aspiration to, to really shoot for that, that they don't believe they have to trade off the two. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's not, it's not an either or I think there can be this magical balance. So I have a question for you, Anna. Um, And you're talking about these four founders and, you know, their kindness and things like that. Are they, are they particularly open about their kind of personal lives or, um, or, vulnerable like what what makes them what what do they share that people feel like they get to know them in this way that is such a good question maddie i think it's being genuine Mm. the entire culture at pop menu has been built around you know we're not trying to be glossy and aspirational and for everything to be beautiful and perfect it's about being genuine and real. And all four co-founders are precisely that. So it's not that they walk around all day through the office and share personal stories, but they're also not shy to admit to things that didn't go well in the past, to talk about um, to talk about things that they're not 
100% proud of. That's precisely our high confidence, low ego value. They are not afraid to be challenged in a conversation. They're not nervous about speaking things in a transparent way. And that in and of itself is the vulnerability in the workplace that just comes across in every interaction of, yeah, let's just be, let's be very real. Let's be real about things. Let's be human about things. And let's just very transparently share what's on our mind. And do they, do they make an effort to, to really get to know the other staff or to listen? And the reason I'm asking this is we've had, a couple of recent podcasts on this very topic of um, empathy and compassion. And, um, you know, so I'm just curious to, to hear about like a real life example CEO or, you know, founders group. Yes. So what we do uh, do a pop menu and I'm not trying to advertise products, but we use donut chats. It's, it's a very simple way of getting matched randomly with people in the organization. And it's one of Brandon's favorite meetings. Uh, it happens every other week. He randomly gets matched. So do all of us with one person in the organization and you just have a chat. It's not about work necessarily. It's just making a connection, getting to know each other and you learn fascinating things. I am always amazed how talented our people are outside of work. Uh, I've learned everything from glass blowing to folks being quite impressive DJs to all sorts of things, folks producing their own music or making cider. There is so much depth in, in getting to know everybody. So that's one real life example. Now, of course, I don't know what happens in Brandon's chats, but I envision them to be precisely like that. Hey, let's just be here, you and me, and get to know each other. That's yeah. awesome. And we actually do. Sorry, did you call them donut chats? Yes. Um, you have I to bring a donut? <laughs> I, I don't know that you have to bring a donut. That, that is, I'm sure that's the original idea, but... Um, okay, that's funny. It's, <laughs> product is called donut it's a slack extension it's a slack thing okay got we it, got live it. On slack as a remote culture yeah. slack is where we are yeah. slack is we connect so it made it was the most natural thing for us to well do. and you're proof yeah. that a remote culture can be a very strong culture too because i get pushed back on that all the time oh everybody's remote we're losing our culture no 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 <laughs> anyway, Sonia, yeah. sorry, I completely cut you no, off. No, I was just going to say, like, and I'll, I, I'll jump into some more questions. So, like, we actually do something similar, a question pro. And for us, we don't do a technology. We just literally did, like, a spreadsheet and a tab for each individual leader. And then um, people can sign up whoever they want to talk with. And each leader has one meeting per week. And it's been the same for me. I've gotten to know. And it's totally open agenda, right? You can talk about professional things. You can talk about personal things. And I've loved it because it gives me an opportunity to get to know somebody in a completely different level. And for us, like, I mean, there's so many people of different backgrounds, upbringings, passions that would have never come up in a regular meeting. So I think to your point, like whether somebody uses like donut or like technology or, you know, old school spreadsheet, it's absolutely a good strategy for like 
tying back to the data point, we're talking about how do you get to know people better? Um, it makes you more approachable. But then also, I think as an organization, it, it helps you learn a lot, even though that's not necessarily the point of it. The point is to connect with people. But there's always like these like additional like aha moments that that come up like really naturally. So in in talking about founders and talking about the CEO we've talked before with you about the, how critical it is like for the head of talent to work hand in hand with the CEO and building the company culture. Like what is that partnership between you and the CEO, between you and Brendan look like at pop menu? Another excellent question to be fair. I don't know that, um, as a people leader, you can have a more important skill than picking the right CEO. <laughs> so truly, because you can't, I, I don't know that you can, any person in an organization single-handedly can create a culture. But the more exposed you are, you do have the chance of really breaking that culture. And mm -hmm. so there is no way you can build a culture against a CEO or against a founder team. Mm -hmm. And I remember still the interview process, which is which was such a funny story. I was about to sign an offer at a different company, but I was late to a kid's birthday party. <laughs> and so I was rushing out and I left it and was like, I'm going to read this later. And then I met one of the Pop Menu employees there. He's also my neighbor. He was like, oh, you have to meet Brandon. I was like, okay. I mean, I offered to help. We were in the same uh, tech industry. It was restaurant tech. So I was like, okay, let me go. Let me go chat with Brendan. And immediately I was impressed with just how kind and how, but also how brilliant he is and what he's doing. And so ultimately that swayed me and I decided to, to join Pop Menu. And up to this day, I really have to say Brandon is one of our biggest cheerleaders for our values, both in the positive way, but at the same time, when behavior is not in line with our culture, also not nervous to call that out. And I think it's that beautiful balance where ultimately we're trying to arrive at the, at the right and kind decision. Yeah. Oh, I love it. And how, so after you joined, so it's, it, I love the serendipitous, like you're about to go down one path um, and how lucky for that birthday party. <laughs> like it was like, it was definitely in the stars. It was like, no, 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 hold on. Uh, we have something even better, you know, planned for you. Um, when you joined and when you started to think about the values and defining those, like, tell us a little bit about how you partnered. What, what was that process like? Okay, this might be the first controversial thing to say on this podcast. <clears throat> I don't know that you can create a culture. Even mm -hmm. when you have the opportunity to build from scratch, the, the sheer definition of culture is something that you can't just map out on a whiteboard. Mm -hmm. It's almost like don't know, going to Italy and telling them, all right, from today onwards, you're all going to be super punctual and you're not going to share emotions all the time. <laughs> no, it, it doesn't work like that. So if you respect culture for what it is, the main thing you can do is capture it. And that's precisely yeah. how we went about it at Pop Menu. 
is rather than everybody walking into a room and sitting down and saying, oh, what might sound great? Or is there a value from a previous organization that I really liked? Instead, it was interviewing every single team member. Back then, it was admittedly only, I think, 50-ish. So it wasn't this humongous task. It was entirely possible. And asking open-ended questions. I think it was my first few weeks at Pop Menu. I had to introduce myself to people one way or another, learn more about the organization. And since I'm not particularly amazing at small talk, I was like, okay, those are those are three great questions to ask. What do you think makes Pop Menu's culture unique? What do you yeah. love about working here? What are some of the struggles we're facing? But also, what type of person do you believe is particularly particularly happy in a culture like pop menu and what type of person might be amazing at what they're doing but they might be happier in a different organization and so I'm, I'm a big note taker very old school I don't type <laughs> write things down in a notebook and um I just went through my notes and started semantic coding. That's what I do. Um, I I just love data. (laughs) I love it. Quantitative and qualitative data. And just started coding the answers. And there was so much pattern. You could tell in the interviews that there were themes. I like going back to the real data. And so just looking at everything. And ultimately, we ended up with four core values. And then it was more a question of almost naming the child. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's when the real collaboration started. It was then to say, all right, you four, you started this company. You knew exactly what you wanted and what you didn't want. Do you feel this is an accurate representation of who we are and how we want to go about doing business? And are those the values that can actually stand in in those moments when we do not have a clear path that we've already been been working on or that we've defined that can fill that void and help us with the way we make decisions? And uh, thankfully, um, that that was it, and the organization responded in a similar fashion, and that's when we yeah. knew they weren't perfect, but real. No, I love I love that process because I think it's it's like exactly what you were saying—the reflection of who you are, um, and then saying, "Do we like who we are? Is there something maybe you know we don't we want to change?" But this is like that, like really deep understanding of. Um, describing the culture more so like than what you were saying you know what it what is the definition who do we really want to you know aspire to be and does it sometimes like it doesn't really fit with the organization's personality and that's that's so important and I love your values are so creative too like once you've actually got down to defining them um, the names and definitions are anything but boring so I wanted to dig into one in particular that's um, make others shine and then it says employees fiercely support one another no brilliant jerks allowed no nice free riders like how cool is that like when even there was you know values were on companies walls like you did you know usually you would say like oh have fun or innovate or things like that like this is definitely thinking outside of the box to embrace um something that you are 
And then I know when when you and I first met, we talked a lot about DNI efforts. Mm-hmm. That that was something that was really important to you, even when you were mentioning when the organization was much smaller. It was something that was really important to get right, no matter the size. Um, so how does how did your values or maybe this particular one help um, create a culture where people feel valued and empowered? I don't know that even when we're small is the right way to approach it. It's one. It's another one of those things that it is so much easier to build this properly from scratch than to wait. And once you have mm-hmm. people, you're like, oh, well, now we need to make diversity and inclusion a priority. Then it's almost like you're trying to to change the shape of the organization versus allowing it to grow organically into being an inclusive culture. Mm. And um, so starting early on, when it comes to feeling included and creating an environment of belonging and inclusion is crucial. It self-perpetuates in a positive way, but it can also self-perpetuate itself in a different way so you gotta fiercely protect that very early on and one of the things um we we don't like copying and pasting at pop menu we we love best practices and we always look at them (laughs) but it's not about oh somebody else is doing this over here let's also make sure we do the same thing and when it came to inclusion we did um our first diversity survey uh, a while ago, I think uh, half a year or more ago. And so we always thought everything was great. And, but we wanted to know for a fact that this is how our people mm. felt also. And one of the things that we created from it is just a different understanding of how we look at things. Mm. Um, and what happens often is you have, um, you have the main groups in an organization and we forget about the people who are between worlds if that mm, yes. so the folks who who meet multiple diversity criteria whether it's you're biracial or whether it's yes you you are lgbtq plus but you're also a female so just respecting that not everybody just beautifully fits into like four or five pillars on a graph or on a chart and embracing more of those folks who are almost always between worlds. And those are really the best litmus test you can have for a culture of belonging because it's rare for them to find another five folks in an organization, even in larger organizations who are exactly like them. But instead, when they feel included and when they have a sense of belonging and, and you, they're, you know, especially when you grow up, I'm digressing here a little bit, but Mm -hmm. a very close friend is, is from Malaysia and she grew up being half Chinese and half Indian. And she never really fit in, not with with the Chinese population, but also not with the Indian population. And when you create a culture where folks who always almost assume that they're not going to fit in, feel like they belong, 
you've mastered something that is truly inclusive. And that's the goal. So um, as simple as it sounds, try to have as much variety as you can. And so now with that phenomenal foundation, and I love, you know, that you reiterated the importance of really starting it er as early as possible. And I remember us talking about that and how for a lot of organizations, like even though they would say, yes, it's really important, um, they wouldn't make it a priority because there's so much going on when you're a startup mm -hmm. that unless you have somebody like you, that's like a real true champion for it it can sometimes become relatively easy to just leave it for later. Mm -hmm. But to your point, when you create a really sound foundation that can only help down the road, um, make it really flourish versus something like, oh my goodness, wait, did we screw this up and now we have to fix it? And so mm -hmm. when you look at whether it's DIV efforts or you know your culture in general, like you're growing really fast at Pop Menu. Mm -hmm. What are you doing to make sure that you preserve, like you've worked so hard to capture the essence of who you are, um, to make sure that in some ways, like your founders are clearly working hard to stay true to who they are from day one. During this time of hyper growth, like what are you focusing on to make sure that you don't lose yourselves in, in the process? I wish I knew. <laughs> I wish I knew what what needs precisely, but the first thing is, again, going back to the no list, being just yeah. aware of the things you're trying to prevent, whether that's silos or whether that's disappointing trust that and fairness. Uh, it's it's just something. Some things are easy to break but hard to mend. And once you have the things on your list that you're really trying to make sure you you, pre, you either prevent on the no list or you, you allow to flourish on your yes list, it becomes easier because then you can truly align. But at the same time, it's, it's stressful because with a, it's almost like a high-performing athlete once you're at a certain level, you know, the only way is down. And so it becomes really yeah. stressful to maintain something that is so good because, you know, if it doesn't work, it's, you're, you're, it's basically it's on you. Um, yeah. That's why I always adopted my dogs from from the shelter because it was like oh okay if if he's misbehaved you know it's a foster um that's an easier <laughs> <laughs> so don't have that when you build it from scratch uh but mainly it's being quite deliberate about it going back to being real it's measuring the things mm -hmm. that are really happening and not trying to, you know, not trying to create glossy data, but at least be honest to yourself, allow the organization to be honest to you. And even if it's challenging to, to look at results and it's challenging to have a conversation with somebody and to hear all the things that they might be struggling with or to hear about folks who might make collaboration a bit harder. It's the dichotomy in which we live and the balance we're trying to create mm -hmm. there. 
And so look, to me, the first step is be keep looking at things, especially the things that are important to you. Don't kid yourself. Don't mm -hmm. just ask questions that are going to give you the comforting and answers, <laughs> but ask the questions that, you know, that take high confidence, low ego to sometimes yeah. back, and then be deliberate about it. Make it a priority. Talk about it. Doesn't sound like rocket science, but it's, it's the actual execution where the rubber hits the road. We all know what we need to do. It's making the effort to actually do it. Did I answer your question? I'm not sure. <laughs> Beautifully. Yes. I'm so, I love everything that you've been saying. It resonates so much um, with how um, I approach culture. So um, I just want to reflect back on a couple of things. So you talked about like the whole um, athlete metaphor in the gym, <laughs> or I was thinking about the gym and I just went to a cardio class yesterday after being off for one week and it was painful. <laughs> um, so I, I definitely see culture as a muscle that you need to just keep fit the whole time. Um, and then what you were saying about diversity and the um, people in between. So as a biracial person myself, I was like, oh, my God, that's that's amazing. Like, I really I totally get it because I'm always a little bit on the outside. Um, and I'm lucky because I also float between worlds pretty easily. Um, but, yeah, it, that was that was a really, really interesting and different way to, to think about it. Um, that I just I just really loved. So I was going to ask you um, because, of course, we're about at time. Um, for you know, if you had a final piece of advice for our listeners, but then you just gave us like a whole bunch. So <laughs> Do you have any left? There was so many already. Oh, there was so much good stuff. Like we'll have to listen to this episode like over and over again. <laughs> but if you just have a final thought, just to close us out, that would be really wonderful. Don't copy and paste what is right for an organization down the road is not necessarily right for you. And what I've seen with most people leaders is they stress themselves out so badly about somebody else doing a mentoring program. And they're like, oh, we got to create a mentoring program mm -hmm. rather than look at your data, look at what you need. And then do what is right for you and for your organization. If you don't have a problem in a certain area, yes, look at it. But don't try to do everything at the same time. Then a talent strategy becomes very muddy. So it's the courage to make the no list that sharpens your yes. It's the same advice as before, but I think. I love it. The no list is my new favorite thing. <laughs> And I have to put in a plug. Um, uh, Sonia and I have a, a really, really great culture assessment. If anybody's wondering about where to get the data about your culture, we do have a great culture assessment. Um, and full disclosure, like I helped to build it. <laughs> but it's that question, bro. So I, I couldn't let that opportunity pass. Um, but Anna, thank you so much. This was just such a great conversation. Like I I just, I wish we had hours more to talk about it a lot more.
Thank you both. It was a pleasure to just spend this morning with you. Thank Yay. you. I loved it. So much good advice. We'll definitely have to do a recap because there, there's a lot in there. And I think a lot of people would really benefit from the very practical, down to earth, but like also powerful information that you shared. Yes. So to our listeners, see you next time.